So this morning's reading comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. John chapter 6, 1 to 21. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is is come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kerry, for reading so nicely for us. Uh, You'll remember, we've looked at this quite often, why John wrote this gospel. He tells us right at the end, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But John says that he's chosen these. These ones have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This isn't just 
academic belief, believing that Jesus is my... This is believing and trusting. Uh, this is faith, that you may faith Jesus, if you like. You may put your faith, your trust in him. And the point of that is it's faith that enables us to receive the life that God has for us, that resurrection life uh, that Jesus is. He is the resurrection and the life. He wants to give his life to you and to me, and we receive it by faith as we trust in him, as we look to him. It is an abundant life that he wants to give. In John 10, 10, uh, John puts it this way, uh, quoting Jesus, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus wants you and me to receive his life, abundant life, life to the full. Uh, that does not mean an easy life. Uh, I think in England today with, and the West today, we think life is a, an abundant life is life with no troubles. Uh, Jesus thought rather differently. For Jesus, life abundantly is life lived in deep union with God in all the stuff that happens. Uh, it's been said that he promised his disciples three things, that they would be absurdly happy, completely fearless and in constant trouble. Whereas the church in the West, we're often uh, a bit worried and a bit anxious and not remotely in trouble at all. Uh, the life that Jesus brings leads to us being confident in him, full of joy, fearless. Uh, and where that cuts against the world, the way it goes, probably in trouble as well. And when Jesus was praying in John 17, he put it like this, John 17 verse 3. This is eternal life, life that starts now and goes on for eternity, that we know God and indeed Jesus who he sent so John has written his gospel that we may have life and we get that life by putting our trust in Jesus completely and continuing to trust him day after day after day the trouble is that too often we take our eyes off Jesus things happen difficult things lots of things and our eyes go off Jesus onto all the stuff that's going on around and we try and handle it in our own strength and we get exhausted and we start moaning that God's not helping and John wants us to lift our eyes to Jesus again and keep putting our trust in him even in the midst of all this stuff and we've got two stories today where Jesus demonstrates that he is well capable of dealing whatever comes up. Now, all of that is quite a long introduction, and I'm going to pray now that God will lift our eyes to him as we look at these two stories. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have the abundant life, the life of God, that you want to give to us by your Holy Spirit, uh, and help us to live this life of fullness and freedom in all the circumstances we find ourselves in. So as we look at these two stories, however familiar they are, pour your Holy Spirit out again on each one of us, on me as I speak, but may we each hear you speaking to us and give us grace to lift our eyes and dare to trust you with whatever it is that's going on around us. So speak now, we pray, and we ask it in your name. Amen. So two miracles here, one after the other. The first one, the feeding of the 5,000, very famous, the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. Apart, of course, from the resurrection, that's obviously in all four Gospels, but the only uh, miracle before Jesus died is recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you read all four Gospel accounts, it fills out the context a bit. Uh, the other Gospel writers tell us that Jesus had sent the 12 away on mission, and they've come back, and they're so busy 
that they couldn't find any time. Mark puts it like this, Mark 6, 30 and 31. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to them all that they'd done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And that was in the days before email and we think life's busy now. But Jesus and his disciples know the pressure of circumstances and he's determined to get them away to be quiet. Jesus wanted to be quiet himself. The other gospel writers tell us that he's just heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, had been beheaded. And when you're bereaved, you need time to process that. So Jesus says to the disciples, let's go away, let's go somewhere quiet. They get in a boat, they go to the other side of the lake to take time out. Uh, But the crowd saw them going and they ran round the lake and this huge crowd comes. And Jesus doesn't send them away, he teaches them. Again, the other gospel writers tell us he teaches them all day. I think the disciples are probably rather fed up. I thought you said we were coming to get some quiet and why don't you send them away? But Jesus has compassion on them as he has compassion on you and me and teaches and feeds them. Uh, And Jesus decides he wants to feed them physically as well as spiritually. So let's pick up verses 5 to 8 again and just the enormity of the problem facing them. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him, he said to Philip, where shall we bribe bread for these people, all these people? He asked this only to test him. He'd already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bit. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said a bit more. Have we got the bit more? No, maybe, maybe I, sorry, I gave you the wrong verses. We know what he said. Here's a boy with five loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? So three times in a few verses, you get this sense of all these people. Jesus says, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And Philip said, if we had half a year's wages, we wouldn't be able to feed all these people. And Andrew says, we've got this picnic here, five loaves and two fish. But what are they among all these people? And there were a lot of them. 5,000 men, Matthew tells us, plus women and children as well. So a huge crowd. Now, I don't know what the equivalent of all these people is for you. Perhaps a mum with little people. All these nappies, I'm swamped, or financial pressure. All these bills. Or when I got back from holiday last week, all these emails. Or what are, all these health issues, all these concerns with our wider family, all these pressures and demands at work. I know a lot of people all the way through the pandemic at work has been so pressured, a bit like sort of the most pressured time of the year all the time. Others, the pressure of being laid off or furloughed and what do I do? And, uh, we all face pressures that are more than we can handle in our own strength. And as a church, Jesus gives us an impossible task. Lead everyone in the area to faith in me. Build them up as disciples. Care for them from cradle to grave. It's impossible. The demands are huge. How do we do that when we have such limited resources? Well, it seems, as I've been reading this again this week, it struck me that Jesus is very happy to put us in positions where we don't have the resources. Because he has the resources and he wants us to look to him with that faith that John talks about. For him to give us his life and through us to share that life 
with others. You're not meant to be able to cope in your own strength without God. But everything in the world around us tells us to work hard, pull ourselves together, do the best we can, and we do that, and we get exhausted and tired. Whereas Jesus puts his disciples in this training school in a position where they can't cope and they have to look to him because he has all the resources there are. Uh, And he does this abundant miracle. Verse 6 tells us that he knew what he was going to do. He only said this to test Philip. He knew how he was going to provide. And he knows how he wants us as a church to minister to this area. And as we become a resource church, the church is wider than that. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to work. But he has the resources. Uh, When when I'm looking at it, I think, well, help, Lord, how's this going to work? Uh, He knows how he's going to help you with your equivalent of all these people. When my resources are so small, I've just got a picnic lunch, how am I going to feed all these people? I love the fact that it's a boy. Perhaps, who knows, boy of nine or ten or eleven who brings his lunch to Jesus and says, here, this is what I've got, you can have it. So often it's children who trust Jesus and show how to trust him. And as adults, we're told to learn from the children because they model what it is to trust Jesus. And it's as we trust Jesus, remember that his life comes. It's like, you remember the old electric trains where the cables, the power cables are above and they put the connector up. I can't remember what the connector's called, but the connector thingy that taps into the power. It's faith as we trust that taps into the power, the resources of God, the life that he wants to give to us and then through us to others. I love the fact that it was a a boy. Uh, And I often wonder what became of that boy the rest of his life. Some of you will have seen the old Story Keepers videos where they imagine Ben the Baker in Rome was the little boy who grew up to be a baker and who tells the stories of Jesus. Uh, And parents, if you've got children who are, what sort of age? I don't know, six or seven to 11, that sort of junior sort of age, the Story Keepers videos are fantastic telling the stories of Jesus. while they're being persecuted in Rome as Christians. Uh, That's imaginary. Did the little boy grow up to be a great storyteller of the stories of Jesus? We don't know. We do know that he just offered what he had. And I think Jesus says to you and me, what's in your hand? What have you got? Will you offer it to me, even though it seems so small, and look what I can do with it? Throughout the Bible, God does this. Remember Moses at the burning bush. Uh, and God says to Moses, go and rescue the Israelites uh, from, from Pharaoh. And Moses goes, well, who am I? And who are you? And what if they don't believe me? And God says, well, what's in your hand? And he says, well, I got this staff. Well, throw that on the ground. And it becomes the snake and he picks it up again. And with that staff, Moses does the miracles through God. God says to you and me, what's in your hand? The little boy had five loaves and two fish. He offers that to Jesus. I find lots of people think that what they have is so small it's not really worth offering. And you could not be more wrong because all the resources of heaven are available to you if you trust in Jesus. And we offer the little that we have and watch God multiply it out of all proportion. John's made this point a few times in his gospel. Remember the miracle at Cana of Galilee where Jesus turns water into wine and not just a little bit of water, the equivalent of 800 bottles of wine to help the party go really well. Uh, It's an abundance. God is an abundant God who has all that we need. And we get worried 
that there isn't enough. We get a scarcity model. I've only got this tiny bit and I've got to eke this out as long as I possibly can. When Jesus wants us to trust him with the little we've got and he'll multiply. Whether that's your time, whether that's your energy, uh, whatever it is, whether it's your resources, we offer it to Jesus and watch him multiply it. It's a wonderful, wonderful miracle. Uh, we don't quite know exactly how it happened, but somehow as Jesus broke the bread and the fish and the disciples handed it out, it just multiplied and stretched. And this image on remembering the picture, it was about Passover time, that's kind of Easter time. Lovely weather in Israel, it's warm there. Uh, there's grass, they sit down, they all had enough to eat. He can picture it as he tells the story. But too often we don't trust we look at all these people, all these emails, all these bills, all these nappies. How am I meant to cope, God? I can't do it. He knows we can't. And he says, look up to me and trust me with your life and see what I will do. And it's striking me that we're not meant to cope in our own strength as a church or as individual. We're meant to cope in his strength. And that only comes as we look to him, as John says at the end of the gospel. He's written this that we would believe, that we would trust and through that faith, have life. So this great miracle, and 12 baskets over, one for each of the disciples to take home to their families later. Great story. Where'd you get that from? Let me tell you. The crowd want to make Jesus their king. He's going to feed them. And Jesus hadn't come to be that sort of Messiah. And he always carved out time on his own with the Father, just to work out what am I meant to be doing? So he does this now. The other gospel writers tells us he sends the disciples on ahead and he goes up to the mountain to pray. Let's pick up the story again, verses 16 to 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. The other gospel writers tell us Jesus had told them to do that. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing. The waters grew rough. When they rode about three or four miles, that's kind of to the middle of the lake, Galilee's about nine miles across, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I, it's me, don't be afraid. And they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So here's another miracle. I don't think I've ever preached on these two together, I've often taken them separately. Uh, but here's another angle on it. What are the storms of life that you face? These disciples in the boat, doing what Jesus had told them, get in the boat, go across. They're doing what he's told them to do, but they face a storm. And they've been rowing. Three or four miles in a fishing boat rowing would have taken a, a good hour or two or more. And there's wind and there's waves and they're exhausted and they're frightened and they're scared. Their life's under threat. I wonder what storm you face. For some, it will be COVID. Uh, for some, the illness itself. For some, a long COVID. For some, the pressure of the last 15 or 16 months that's been so difficult. It's like you've been rowing and rowing and you're just exhausted and feeling swamped. For some, it's bereavement. For some, it's illness. For some, it's unemployment or relationships going wrong. We all face storms in life. And Jesus comes walking on the water and he says in verse 20, it is I, don't be afraid. Actually, that's not a good translation. What he literally said was, I am, don't be afraid. 
Now, if I am was not the divine name, this is a good translation, but Jesus is making the point that he is God. We looked last term at God's name in Exodus, where he reveals to Moses, I am who I am, Yahweh. Yahweh, gracious, loving, compassionate, the great I am. And John makes this point lots of times in the gospel. Jesus takes these words, I am, several times. Before Abraham was, I am. All the I am sayings, including the great one over my head, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. Don't be afraid. I am. In whatever storm you're facing, I am there. I am with you. One of the big differences for us from the disciples then The disciples got in the boat and Jesus stayed on the mountain. But for us, Jesus has promised, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He never sends us in a boat without getting in it himself. And if you're in a storm, he is there and he says to you what he said to them, I am. Don't be afraid. Or much as Isaiah put it in the Old Testament that God said to his people. Let me read to you from Isaiah 43 from verse 1. This is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba for your stead. Since you are precious and honoured in my sight and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, I am with you. And Jesus says that to each of us today and especially if you're facing a storm, waters, river, fire, whatever the storm is, I am with you. Well, I don't know whether you identify more with the all these people. It's just sort of, I'm okay in myself. It's just there's all these demands that I can't cope with. Or whether you identify more with the storm. Or you may be in a glorious moment where it's neither all these people nor the storm. Make the most of it. It doesn't last. Jesus loves to put us in places where we can't cope. So we have to turn to him and trust him. He wants to pour his life into you and he does that, gives does that as we look up and trust him and we do that best when we're a bit out of our depth so whether it's all these people or whatever the demands on you are or whether it's a storm Jesus has the resources to for us to cope but he loves to do it with us I wish he'd just come and do it for us Uh, but he likes to do it he likes us to offer our lunch here's my five loaves and two fish Here's the little bit of time I've got. I've only got an hour or two a week, but here it is. Here's the resources I've got. And Jesus takes them and multiplies them. And as he does that, we trust him more. And we go from this scarcity mentality that we can't cope, there's not enough around and God doesn't really seem interested, to this joy in seeing God's abundance. How on earth did he help us get through that? How How is he using me like this? I don't get it. And as a church, as we're asked to become a resource church for this area, sort of mission hub, uh, how is God going to give us resources to help others more? We can see some of that, but the demands and the needs out there are far beyond what we can possibly do ourselves. And Jesus puts us us in a position where we offer what we have. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Jesus is going to multiply that and use that.
And maybe in five or ten years' time, we'll look back and say, well, goodness me, how on earth did that happen? As Jesus takes it with his hands and breaks and multiplies and uses it. It just needs you and me to look to him with the eye of faith. Only needs a mustard seed of faith. We don't need a lot of faith. It's just what we do with it. And we need to look up to him, not down at all these people or the storm. We look to him and he promises to give us life. Uh, Two more verses as we finish. Jesus went on to teach them after this. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. Not preaching a sermon on that. We had one in uh, Sunday evening a few weeks ago. But I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirst. He says, come to him. And those inner hungers and thirsts he will meet. Or one last verse from St. Paul, as we are St. Paul's church. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. He did immeasurably more with that lunch for the feeding of the 5,000. He did immeasurably more on the lake in the wind and the waves. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. And band, would you come back ready to lead us uh, in song in a moment. But as always, let's just take a moment to be still. And in the stillness, just acknowledge before God what the equivalent of all these people or the storm is. And look up and say, God, here I am. These are my loaves and fish, but what's that among so many? Just tell him, look up. And as we do that, we pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, send your Holy Spirit on us. Here in the building, on everyone who's watching, wherever they are. And come and minister to us and give us your life as we look to you. We pray especially today for any who are really are feeling overwhelmed by the demands on them or the storm that they're in. Jesus, come and speak to them. Don't be afraid. I am. For those of us who've got into a scarcity mentality and just trying to do things in our own strength, Lord, write this truth on our hearts that you have all the resources. You are a God of abundance who wants to give us your life to the full, even in the midst of storms and demands. For us as a church, as you call us to have a wider influence and to help and bless others and give away so much of what you've given to us, show us what that means, what you want us to do. But we offer, as it were, our lunch to you, the little that we have. And just while we're being still, let me add in the things the prayer ministry team have felt God saying this week. This will be for several of us, I think, a reminder 
from the scripture that God's steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And one of the team had a picture of a person standing on the seashore in the dim light of dawn, looking out over the sea to the horizon, the sun starting to rise, and a sense that they're in a twilight time of uncertainty. But as the sun rises, they heard those words we often sing, hope is rising, hearts are stirring. Lord, we pray that you would bring hope where there's been despair, that you would bring faith where there's just been fear. And for any who are feeling in the twilight zone, we pray that your, uh, the sun would rise on them afresh today. So Lord, pour out your spirit on us individually and as a church and continue to do that as we sing this next song of worship to you. In your name we pray. Amen.